Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. Money FM 893, thanks for joining me on the Breakfast Huddle and it's time for the weekly wrap where we look at some of the top headlines on a local front that caught our attention in the past week and progressive wages are back under the spotlight with a recently passed bill in Parliament seeking progressive wages for the waste management sector and this is along with stricter licensing rules for cleaning firms. And also an update that more than 1,900 firms have received the Progressive Wage Mark or PW Mark Plus application since applications opened last month or rather in December. And meanwhile, over at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Singapore is calling on global manufacturers to look at better diversification of their supply chains. So we'll unpack all that and more with Albert Sui. He is the Executive Director for Advocacy and Policy Division at the Singapore Business Federation. Morning, Albert. How are you doing to this Friday morning? Hi, good morning, Ryan. Hey, glad to have you on. Now, let's talk about what's playing out for you and what you've been observing with what's on the progressive wage mark front. And we've seen mm. quite a bit of progress with how this has played out, more industries being involved. And let's talk about first with the context of how this is helping some of these lower wage workers. You are, of mm. course, uh, having your year very close to the ground. How has that made an impact for these lower wage workers so far? Mm. Well, the progressive wage mark, or PW mark for short, is really intended to be a clear and visible accreditation for businesses committed to uplifting the wages of its employees. So attaining the mark has a positive impact on not just the workers, but also the company as well. For the former, I think it is a strong assurance that the company is committed to taking care of them. And for the business itself, it can demonstrate to buyers, both the individual and corporate ones, that the company has good employment practices in place. Of course, there's also the PW Mark Plus, which we want to encourage more businesses to move towards because that entails holistic elements beyond just wages, but things like workplace safety, rest areas, and training and upskilling for workers. And ultimately, the Singapore Business Federation sees the mark as a tool for companies to use in attracting and retaining workers in this rather tight labor market. Our belief is that a motivated and resilient workforce growing alongside the business will enable it to flourish and be successful over the long term. Yeah, that's a good overview, um, Albert. So let's talk about what is needed to qualify for this. And companies must hire at least one local worker, a Singaporean or PR, covered by any existing sectorial or occupational progressive wage models, pay the relevant workers progressive wages, and pay mm-hmm. all other local workers at least the local qualifying salary of $1,400. So you have yeah. a couple of guidelines here. What do you make of the requirements? Are they enough or is there more that needs to be looked at? Well, it's always a balance. Yeah, we, we can't be too onerous and uh, administratively burdensome, but it has to be rigorous enough to ensure that there are no loopholes. So the renewal of the mark is actually done annually. And as part of the mark renewal, companies are required to update what we call the occupational employment data set that is managed by the Ministry of Manpower as and when there are changes to the occupational and employment details of the employee. And as you mentioned rightly, companies that continue to pay the relevant local workers the sectoral or occupational progressive wages and the local qualifying salary to all other local workers will be auto-renewed actually. So in that sense, it is not as administratively burdensome, but uh, considering that it is done annually, the accreditation renewal, and closely intertwined with the PWM ladders, I think the requirements are sufficiently rigorous. Um, in fact, we have recently put up a guide on our SBF Mark webpage to help companies and the Taukes to, mm. to navigate this application process. 
Yeah, but I'm just thinking how to make this more adopted or more mainstream in that sense. Uh, would we perhaps be making a bigger push to try to do this by getting government tenders to include all these requirements to only allow progressive wage mark companies and of course other corporate tenders as well to involve this as well to just encourage or incentivize people to take mm. up these accreditation models? Yeah, I think government uh, contract is always a full uh, incentive. Yeah, but it really beyond that, if we take on a, a broader lens, this mark itself is really part of a wider national conversation on the critical role of how enterprises and workers can work with one another positively towards collective growth and to find new ways to renew the social compact. And I think the philosophy of valuing each and every employee to accord them the appropriate recognition, be it in the form of remuneration or other workplace policies, really has scope to be deepened. So while the mark is, you know, in its current form, mm. uh, it will continue to evolve and include other incentivizing measures. But I think what it does uh, more importantly is to really spotlight the different roles that each of us play in society and for all of us to become more appreciative of the fellow Singaporeans. Yeah, but we are making some progress. So right now it covers cleaning, security, mm. landscape lift and escalator maintenance and retail mm-hmm. sectors. Do you see what's going to be the, I guess, more obvious targets to look at next? Yeah, it would definitely be for some of the more frontline or rank and file industries, you know, handiwork type of industries. But we are also mindful that business cost is moving up and regulation is not uh, definitely the only tool that we can use to push for some of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, what the Mark has done is to shine the spotlight across some of these industries. And because of the, the natural dynamics of the labour market, I think other sectors will also follow suit. And otherwise, I think it's just natural that you won't be able to get Singapore foreigners to join your, your company. Yeah, yeah, So I think that natural dynamics has its value as well to achieve the equilibrium in the labour force. Yeah, definitely a conversation that will continue. And let's turn mm-hmm. the conversation now to what's happening in Davos, the World Economic Forum, where mm-hmm. we have a lot of talk about supply chains. Of course, Singapore mm-hmm. making the push for companies to diversify. And I think it's worth noting that many of these companies have started to realise in the past few years that there is a lot to grapple with these days and they've faced a lot of disruptions with COVID-19, in some cases, trade regulations or protectionist rules. This all just making them think twice about how they should be spreading their factories around the world. And when you look at how that is playing out in that context, Albert, what has been the impact for Singapore so far? Yeah, so as you mentioned, I think the lessons from the pandemic and all the supply chain disruptions from the lockdowns have really prompted us a, a huge rethink on the flow of materials and products. Right? I think a, a lot of Singaporeans are affected materially by their like, uh, foreign purchases tech, you know, in, in warehouses overseas. Mm. Yeah, but philosophically, I, I really disagree that near-shoring everything is the solution, even though some major powers are advocating that. I think no man is an island, <laughs> not even mm. Singapore, paradoxically. And we can cannot reach full self-sufficiency by just hoarding everything. And uh, I don't think this reshuffling is any different from any previous protectionist reactions and relocations. Yeah, and I think we are very clear-headed as Singaporeans. Global manufacturing activities will always be concentrated in countries with massive productive capacity and not Singapore, at least by volume. And for Singapore, I think this actually presents us a useful window of opportunity to relook at our own supply flows, our complementarity of skills, of our own skills stock against those available in the Southeast Asia region and our own niche sectors and the comparative advantage that they have developed over the years. All these to 
really help us question how do we stay agile and tap specifically the higher value add manufacturing activities that should be anchored in Singapore. And perhaps just one imaginative step further to really think about how Singapore can harness our growing digital connectivity to tap on the emerging uh, manufacturing hubs within our region, but done in a remote way. Yeah, and of course we are starting this with quite a strong base on the on the employment front. I think the manufacturing sector itself hires about slightly more than ten percent of the workforce, and I think our continued ability to anchor higher value add activities that are driven by frontier research and innovation will ensure that we are relevant as a country and as a production node for the global supply chain. So no matter where they move, I think the value of Singapore as irreplaceable in the specific products that we push out is going to be critical. Yeah, there is also the argument that nearshoring could lead to some inflation as well when you have to recalibrate all your processes, there's going to be at least some headwinds to deal with in terms of setup costs. So all these issues, they have to figure out what's the right balance. And talking about balance, we have climate change topping the World Economic Forum survey of global risk this year. Mm-hmm. So climate change right at the top of concerns. When you talk to manufacturers and of course businesses in Singapore, how big of a concern is this right now for them when you look at other worries they have to deal with, the rising costs of mm-hmm. materials, labour, manpower, all these things. Where does it place in their you know, list of things to do. Right. The Singapore Business Federation just concluded uh, our national business survey and it was very encouraging to see that 75% of the businesses polled have implemented at least one uh, area in the environmental, social and governance space, or ESG for short. And actually looking ahead to the next 12 months, the companies have indicated that they want to do more despite the headwinds. And some of these uh, are areas like sustainability and supply chain management, you know, mitigating uh, climate risk to disrupt their supply chains. And uh, one notable mention is also the use of renewable energies. Yeah, I think these are top of mind on the plans of the businesses. And we are very cognizant, like what you mentioned, you know, how do we measure the trade-offs and help the companies balance some of these tensions. And about of our businesses being the SMEs, they are the backbone of the supply chains and they will be expected to meet the sustainability expectations and reporting standards of their international partners. So in that regard, uh, SBF is working closely with both the industry and public sector partners to develop a resource guide specifically on ESG to help them get started to understand, to track and to improve their ESG performance. There's really no contradiction between going green Mm. and enabling a more robust supply chains. I think as more enterprises come on board and the momentum is accelerated, we can expect a greenification, if you will, across sectors, both the traditional ones and the emerging ones. And these would open up very exciting opportunities for both the businesses and the employees alike. All right, Albert, talking about opportunities now, we are heading into the next budget coming up in February 14th. So just three weeks away, what's your wishes looking like for this year? Ah, uh, Well, my favourite topic. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> the Singapore Business Federation SME Committee has submitted our budget wish list to the government on behalf of the business community and we look forward to their favourable consideration. Just to reiterate a few key strokes, I think the community is really facing some potential headwinds this year. Rising costs, supply chain constraints, manpower challenges, we spoke about those. And uh, we look forward to some appropriate uh, government support to help the aspiring businesses ease the opportunities and continue expanding 
going overseas. And another important dimension, as we mentioned earlier, is to help them adopt sustainability solutions as a long-term comparative advantage. And in this particular space, I would say that the trade associations and the chambers is a powerful multiplier. And we recommend that the government direct funding support to the TACs to develop sectoral sustainability roadmaps in collaboration with the industry partners. We also want to see some transitional schemes that may help ease the cost pressures. And of course, hopefully to see the government lead by example, things like accelerating payment period, even as short as 14 days. I think all these measures will help SMEs overcome the cash flow challenges during this volatile period ahead. All right, we'll see how much of that gets into the actual mm-hmm. budget, Albert. And we check with Albert Sri. He is the Executive Director for Advocacy and Policy Division at the Singapore Business Federation. But thanks for your time and have a happy Lunar New Year in advance. Happy Chinese New Year. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.